We're relatively young as a company. You know, our office has a gym, a cinema, a pool table, <laughs> a video game station. I think it's important to tell people that they can be promoted. People will always be promoted until they become incompetent. And that's when they'll get stopped promoted. So if you're good at your job, promote, promote, promote until you become bad. Hey, awesome people. Welcome to Bootstrap Stories, the only podcast where founders of bootstrap companies share in all transparency the ups and downs of their journey. Starting a business comes hand in hand with loneliness, the pressure of not being successful, and overall, lots of challenges. After meeting with hundreds of entrepreneurs in the past years, I figured out that we all have struggles and make lots of mistakes when building a business. But the truth is that most people are afraid to share this publicly. That's what motivated me to start this podcast, to show that we're all on the same journey, facing the same struggles, and to give energy to all entrepreneurs worldwide to continue their adventure. Even if sometimes it can be really challenging and we often feel like giving up, in the end, it's all worth it. So, hey, Max, and uh, welcome to Bootstrap Stories. Hey, really happy to be here and yeah, excited to, to chat. Same here. So before we jump actually the discussion, I really want to give you a short idea about what we're going to discuss. So in the first part of the episode, I want to focus a bit more on what helped you grow your business being fully bootstrapped. Then we will go deep into like the hard times and challenging moments. And uh, in the last part of the episode, I also want to figure out uh, why you're being so active on YouTube and uh, let us know a bit more about this project uh, of yours. Sounds good? Sounds great. Awesome. So can you maybe like tell us a bit more about like current business, uh, where you at in terms of ARR and uh, team or revenue? Yes. Yeah, so um, my bootstrap business is Megaphone. We're a digital marketing agency. We mainly do like performance, Facebook and search. Uh, started around nine and a half years ago, you know, living with my mom, working out of my bedroom. Now we're about 130 plus people got an office in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, uh, and we moved recently set up in LA. We're about to do the UK uh, in the next few months as well. So trying to do take over the whole world with our agency. Um, our ARR is just across 20 million uh, as a wow. company. Um, what was the other part of the question? <laughs> I think you've covered like uh, most of, of this. So you, you also have like uh, another business, correct? So Megaphone, if I sum it up, uh, nine and a half years, you started it, uh, the business, 150 people, multiple location, but essentially like uh, Australia and the US right now co coming to London soon uh, and uh, and um, 20 million in AR. Is that correct? Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so last year we also, or I launched um, an e-commerce company as well called Sylvie. Um, and that's been growing really fast and really exciting as well, taking everything that we learned about performance marketing, branding, um, you know, research and product market fit. Um, so we've, that's been really exciting. We're doing a, a small series A right now and really want to see okay. how far we can scale that. <laughs> so it's not bootstrapped, so we don't need to talk about that. Um, Actually, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really interesting because you bootstrap your agency to, to around like 20 million and now you have like a, another product and you want to start raising funds. Uh, why is that? Like, were you a hardcore bootstrapper back in the days and now you changed because maybe like the, the money right now is overflowing or what's the, what's the logic? Yeah, I think, um, so I think like bootstrapping makes sense when 
you can't be efficient with the capital that you're putting in and you can't get a good valuation. So I think with my agency, it's very cash flow positive business. And truthfully, we couldn't allocate capital more efficiently to grow any faster. And if we would have taken capital, we probably would have made a lot of dumb decisions uh, to try to allocate it in ways. Well, we, you know, I was learning as an operator as well. And I think that we had to be really conscious of how we were spending our money and keeping our margins. And that, that made our business grow in the way that we wanted it to grow. With this business, Sylvie, we are more efficient capital allocators. It's also a much more uh, difficult business to scale without either using debt or some level of cash flow. And so for the amount of um, ambition that we have for the project, we just want to push it as fast as possible. And also now that we have reputation as well, we can raise on reputation and the difficulty in raising isn't too complex as well. So I, 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 you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm like all bootstrapping or, or raising. I'm like, look at each individual opportunity and figure out what makes sense to be right then and there. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. No, that's that's really interesting. And um, I'm guessing, yeah, definitely you have like uh, built a, mar a marketing agency on the side doing 20 plus millions uh, annual recurring revenue. So for uh, any VCs who see you like starting a new business, they will be like, okay, this guy knows shit. So I'm guessing you can get uh, some good term shit right now. Can you pitch a bit like the Sylvie, like what it does, uh, what market does it address and uh, and where you at in terms of like maybe revenue, you were looking, talking about product market fit, so. Yeah, so um, basically we were the first company to combine silk and silver ion technology, which which makes it really good for your skin. So basically with the intersection of like homewares with skincare, how do we make um, a product that's really good for your skin? I think that what we learned is a lot of people aren't washing their pillowcases every couple of days, which is what dermatologists recommend for the amount of bacteria that grows. And if you're not washing it every couple of days and you're sleeping against, um, you know, often cotton, which is high friction, it's really fast in terms of growing bacteria. So the idea being, if we had something that's really soft, um, it doesn't create the wrinkles, the silk um, helps produce collagen in your skin and the silver makes it antibacterial. So that way you don't need to wash it every 10 to 14 days. Uh, and you can have um, better skin. So that's the concept. We actually don't share um, revenue numbers publicly okay. on that. Um, but it's going good. You know, I think at the end of the day, we've got, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of spend of experience through Megaphone and insights yeah. that we can take to <laughs> um, uh, this company. So it's, it is fun to go, you know, I feel like doing TikTok and it's like, I don't have to get any approval. I was like, yeah, I want to work with these creators. Cool, let's just do it. Um, as opposed to, you know, I have to convince the client, okay, cool. Here's the economics. Here's the risk ratio. Here's, here's, uh, here's our competitor analysis and why I think this is a good idea. Um, now we can just do it. And if it, you know, if it works, awesome. If it doesn't, it's learning for me as well. So that's been really, really fun. And, uh, is it, uh, complex for you to manage both business at the same time? Because I mean, even though like, uh, you could tell that you have a team that can help grow the business with Megaphone, it's still like two different business. Yeah, so it, with Megaphone, I really worked over the last few years of building a really good management team. And so I started to kind of extradite myself out of the day-to-day -day operations. So um, we've got Lauren and Josh, who are like our CEO and CMO, and they're really talented executors. I've been working with them really closely. 
on every single element that I was running in the business to kind of hand it over. Um, and now I'm also getting them like some of the highest level executive coaching that I could find and things like that. So I really trust in them and their ability to execute on the vision. And so my goal with Megaphone is more, um, you know, I think about our overall product and strategy. So like what I learned in Sylvie, I take all of those insights to bring it into Megaphone. And it actually frees up a lot of time where I can just be doing what I love, which is you know, doing a few hours of podcasts every day and then speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs and just trying to think. And then when I come in, I can do only a handful of hours in the business, but those handful of hours, I can think about our strategies and things like that. And when I'm, the thinking also relate, relates to Sylvia as well, whether it's connections for raising or it's strategies or it's hiring or it's um, mentorship. Um, I think that, um, potent, you know, I think sometimes in entrepreneurship, it's uh, undervalued to have quite a lot of time outside of the business just to learn and just to kind of uh, be creative so that when you're in there, you can be really productive. And so that's how I manage those two projects. Yeah, it's uh, I 100% agree. I mean, we've been running multiple projects and everyone was telling us, you know, like you need to focus, etc. But I do feel like the more you talk to different people, the the more it opens like new possibility and you can get also tons of new ideas for your business. So it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. And um, whenever you were like uh, starting like uh, Megaphone, did you started it alone or did you have uh, co-founders back in the days? So um, if you go right back to the start, um, I had a co-founder and we basically, I was more of like, you know, the nerd. I feel like in, in uh, agencies, there's three people. There's either the salesperson <laughs> that starts the business, there's yeah. the creative that starts the business, or there's the nerd. And I was, and, and I was the nerd. I was like really technical. And, um, you know, I was like, I was in all the forums, like looking for like different hacks and things like that. And I was doing um, marketing for a music festival. And I, I, a friend of mine who was a really good salesperson, he's like, hey, I've got a client that wants social media. You want to do it? Um, he's like, I'll take a, a massive sales commission, which was like, I don't know, 25% of the contract, <laughs> <laughs> which for me, I was happy with as well, because, you know, he was getting me money. I like, and I didn't know anything about sales and you do all the work. And I, and honestly, I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Like, uh, you get me this client. That sounds amazing. So that's what we did. That was our first client. They're still a client with us, you know, nine, 10 years later, the wow. same client. Um, and, uh, and so I did all the work for them and, um, I just was really committed to, I mean, I'm, I'm deterring, but yeah, anyway, so that, that was, that was our first client. And then like a few months later, he's like, mm, I'm not really interested in running an agency with you. I'm, you can do this by yourself if you want. And that, and so then I was like, okay, cool. Well, now I have to learn the other side of business, you know, hiring sales, all these other things But I kind of, uh, I don't know if I would have done it if it was just um, myself right at the start, but that kind of gave me the initial momentum to go, okay, cool. This is an opportunity. And, now I got to figure out how to build this. And um, you were mentioning like uh, just before that you now have uh, a new CEO and CEO in the, in the team and that you are basically like helping them with the best uh, executive coaching that you could find. Did, is it something that you started doing early as a CEO to kind of like take coaching from the outside or... Is it something that you're just doing like for your team because it's something that you would have loved that someone do for you? So um, one of my, like, I feel like a business is built on like philosophies, right? So there's like philosophical principles that uh, underline and underpin um, all of your decisions that you make. You know, I think that that's how we live our lives as well. And so one of my philosophies is 
whoever it learns the most will execute the best. Um, so back in the day, that meant you know we do the most courses and read the most books of any agency. Um, and similar with mentorship as well. So I probably I wasn't paying for executive coaching back in the day because I probably couldn't afford um, anything super good. But um, I had um, ten mentors, um, and I had you know a guy that's running a multi-billion-dollar tech company, a guy that's running an agency with a hundred people, and another guy running an agency, a guy that had an exit to um, a tech company, um, like a sales expert, one of Australia's leading sales experts, um, and so. I would research these people really, really well. I know every single piece of content that they released into internet. Uh, I would I'd reference that. I would write them these emails. And then eventually, I usually I would be able to catch up with them for lunch or a phone call. And those were kind of my coaches um, back in the day. I would try not to bug them too much and, and try to just be humble and learn as much as I could. Um, but yeah, I think now for the position that we're at, um, my goal is to try to get... Uh, coaching and and actually for the last year or so i've had a mindset coach as well that worked with me so not necessarily like an executive coach but someone where it's like hey this is your philosophy um this is your value system and these are your actions and just trying to mirror uh, myself back to me to try to make sure that i'm really in alignment to the type of person that i want to be and i'm acting in the way that i really want to be and that was helpful for me and i actually did hire that that coach for my exec team as well to try to support them on their mindset and make sure that they're, you know, making the decisions that they want to make. And, um, but now I think as we're getting bigger, we can start to afford a little bit better. And it's like, you know, right now we've, I've, I've interviewed like seven coaches and this one coach that I like, he was, um, Reed Hoffman's coach from LinkedIn for uh, nice. five years. <laughs> uh, Not a bad profile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he says he's worked with 80 companies and nine of them have, have gone from eight figures to a billion dollars in valuation. Um, and he said average length of clients, like five years. Uh, he got recommended from an, a friend of mine who's, who's doing really well. Um, and so of all the people that I interviewed, I just, he's kind of like this, um, like Zen Buddhist approach to like business coaching, which is kind of a little bit my style as well. Just like um, a bit more philosophical than only being tactical. And anyway, so I'm excited to continue his sales process and see if we think that's a good fit and maybe sign up. For people listening, like, uh, what's the typical price range for a coach? I don't know if there is a typical price range. Um, you know, my first coach was $10,000 for the year, I think. And I would speak to him every two weeks for an hour. Um, okay. This coach is a lot more expensive than that. <laughs> is it like a, a 10x or? <laughs> yeah, it's 10x. Okay. Okay, um, okay. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, if we're going from 20 million ARR to 40 million ARR. It's worth it, yeah. Exactly. And it's also like, he can help with culture, staff happiness. Um, he can support the exec team when they're stressed out to make the journey more fun, rewarding for them. Um, and he can see around the corner uh, before we see know what's happening. Um, and someone that's like deeply invested into the business. So we need to make sure it's a really good fit. But if they're a really good fit, then that investment, I think, is... Um, so, so useful and it compounds because they're developing skills as leaders that will compound over time too no that's that's really interesting and um i'm guessing like scaling a team to 150 people must have been quite tough because uh, i remember like uh, when i had an agency before like starting lemlist it was like the the biggest struggle was scaling with people and you don't have any other option and what i found like um quite difficult with agencies is that essentially 
you are like uh, you're having clients and you're selling time. I mean, no matter how you are like packaging it, in the end, it always comes down to like uh, the the daily hour or whatever. And um, down the line, how have you managed like to really kind of like scale this model, uh, hire the right people, make sure that they can stay also. So whenever you're training them, that they don't just start their own agency and become a new competitor. What uh, what has been your strategy? Yeah, it's it's a great point. By the way, I haven't I haven't specifically told you this, but we all love Lemless, by the way. Ah. And we've all been following <laughs> following your content for a long time. So it's exciting ah, for thanks. us as an agency to be chatting to you. Um, so you're totally right. Um, so there's kind of like key inflection points of the business where it's like, cool, our biggest problem is lead generation. Now it's sales, now it's hiring, now it's culture, now it's you know data and analytics or whatever it is. There's usually one problem that um becomes the core problem. And if that solves, then the other things kind of fall into place a little bit. And people is a massive, um, you know, thing to solve as a company. So in the early days, it's not that hard to hire just a couple of people and you can kind of influence them and pick up their shoulder when they're working on something and make sure they're doing it in the way that you want. But I think as we got bigger, um, a few things. So one is back in the day, my early philosophy for the company was, I, I didn't want to get a job starting out. Like I've always, I've, you know, I was, I was a poker player and I was a piano teacher and I was all kinds of weird things. And I never really, I always tried to avoid getting a job. And if, I, if I'm going to hire someone, then it's my responsibility to make sure that this is the best job that they've ever had. And I read a lot of books around, um, you know, what makes people happy in companies and, you know, fair compensation um, and, you know, perks in the office, that's all fine. Um, and that's good, but I think people really want growth, a mission that they're excited about and a culture that, you know, they're, fr they're proud to be part of. Um, and so how do we really support people in, in get, giving them that kind of uh, environment as well? And so there's a lot of things that we've done. We, we, we do like a learn day where everyone learns new things, presents it to the company. We support a lot of people in their growth. We have like, you know, book clubs and things like that where people can constantly invest in their growth and also just uh, from a management perspective, really understanding and listening to people on where they want to go and so trying to figure out how we can support them in their growth goals as well was really important. I think um, culturally, you know, as an agency, we're probably quite different in Australia. Like we're relatively young as a company. Our culture is quite youthful as a result. Um, you know, our office has a gym, a, a cinema, a pool table, <laughs> a video game station. Um, and it's not really like, uh, we're not trying to use that as a hack to try to like get people in, but that's actually a true reflection of, you know, me and, uh, and our culture. <laughs> like I just like to play video games during the day to like break up my day. And I like to have a movie night with my colleagues as well. So it's, it's not like some like, Oh, let's try to like trick people into making a cool environment. It's like, no, that's just like how I like to work in a modern era. Um, giving people flexibility to like work from home when they, when they want to, um, you know, culturally like where, um, all of our managers and execs that we're flying them to Bali. Um, we're going to do like a Bali retreat. And so socially, we try to figure out how can we make sure people feel really connected to their peers as well. Uh, so running events where we try to figure out, okay, cool. If all these old people that have been in the company for a while know each other for a while, how do we make sure we integrate them with the new people? What events can we do? Um, on the hiring side, um, I think we're conscious about how we're representing our company to the world. Um, as well. So like, you know, when we win awards, 
you know, they're a little bit like, eh, it's just an award. It doesn't mean that much. But to, to new potential employees, we think that that could be quite important. You know, we just won like agency of the year in Australia. And so when they're trying to figure out, okay, what agency do I want to work with? Okay, well, these guys just won. So it's like actually important sometimes to win those awards from that uh, perspective. Our Instagram is designed to kind of show our culture as well. Um, the copywriting and the language in our job descriptions. Um, you know, we have like an analytic tool where we look at personality profiles of the com- of the people that fit into our culture. We do like intelligent testing as well to try to figure out where they're going to be fitting in our company. So there's all kinds of different facets to try to reflect on how do we get the right people? How do we get them really engaged where they want to stay and give a lot to the company as well? And at the end of the day, you know, Lemlist is your product. It's like, it's a software and you want that to be as good as possible. Our product is people. So we need to yeah. get the best people and we need to get them as engaged as possible in our mission as a company. That's uh, no, that's really interesting. And uh, I want to get, just like take a few steps back uh, because right now it's it's pretty awesome what you've accomplished in the nine and a half years like winning agency of the year in australia like that's big and you're getting these awards you have the office you have the cool vibes but going back to the early days you know like you just got started um you could handle all the work by yourself because usually when you start your agency it's not like uh, i hired a team of 10 you know it's like you need to first get the sales then once you have enough money you start hiring people etc so How did you get these uh, first hires? Uh, are they still in the company? What was kind of like the, the ups and downs at that time to, to scale the team? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, one story that I tell is for the first employee that I ever hired, I, I interviewed one person and I hired that person. <laughs> I didn't interview, <laughs> like there's no reference checks, anything. I was just like, yeah, this guy seems cool. And I, I was more nervous for the interview than he was. Like I put on a, I put on a shirt because I wanted him to think that I was a real company, right? Um, and uh, and then he started working, and like I was very casual at the time as well. Like I was like, hey, like it'd be like 2 p.m. I'm like, do you want to just like play video games for the rest of the day, or you want to go like go out for lunch and drinks, or what? Like it was, I wanted it to be really fun, but at the same time, we had clear goals of like if we're doing this, this is what we're doing every year. Like, this is how we're going to achieve. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of our early employees, their, their retention was very good. You know, I don't think that a lot of them are here uh, seven years later, but like Josh was um, my first employee. And I think he he stayed for maybe three years and uh, nice. still, um, still in contact with a lot of these people as well. The fourth employee was Lauren, who's now our CEO. Um, I think the 11th employee was Josh, another Josh, who's our CMO. Um, and um, yeah, um, I think it just kind of gradually evolved um, where, you know, we're just kind of figuring things out as we're going. And it was slow progress. It felt like slow at the time. You know, we kind of double every year. So going from two to four people doesn't seem like that much. And then four to eight. But then when you're going from 30 to 60 and 60 to 120, And then it's like, oh, whoa, who it's are a big all step. these people? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, learn everyone's name now. Um, yeah. So things just kind of evolve over time. I actually remember like, because uh, we're mainly remote and uh, we try to do a bit as you like team retreat and we were meeting with the entire team like in Turkey. And I remember like entering the room with uh, like 40, 40 people and I was like, holy shit, like, it changes from the Zoom meeting, you know, where everyone is on the screen and now you see the team and how big it can be. Like it's, uh, and I'm guessing for you, 150 now, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it must be huge. <laughs> it's so crazy. And you just walk around the room and you're like, 
there's someone that you don't know working on a client that you don't know and you're like, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's the evolution. I, you know, yeah. I would say I should know everyone, but I've been in LA for the last six months. So when I come back to Australia, I probably won't know. I probably won't have physically met 40, 50 people. Yeah. And what was the reason for you to, to go to LA? Was it to open the new office or uh, mainly just uh, focus on the US market a bit more? So the, the number one reason was actually to be around people that challenge and inspire me. I feel like, um, I feel like, you know, the businesses can be run remotely and particularly with megaphone, the management teams in place are really strong. And so my goal is just to evolve as much as a person to be in my most inspired and, and growth minded self. Um, and in America, there's, there's just so many people that are really pushing the boundaries of, of marketing or growth or, um, and so it, it has been like good for me. I've met a handful of people that are incredibly ambitious, kind of like-minded and, and I find it just kind of inspiring to be in that energy. Yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, it must be, must be interesting. So why LA and not, uh, San Francisco? Uh, I mean, I, the lifestyle in LA is amazing as well, right? Like okay. the weather's amazing and I already <laughs> had, I knew a few people in LA as well. Um, yeah. And I think actually there's kind of a nice little emergence of a tech scene and a startup scene happening in LA, whereas it feels like in San Fran, people are slightly migrating out. LA, people are kind of, it's like earlier in, so there's a bit of excitement in the air, I think, from at least what I've heard. That's cool. And um, what has been like in the last nine and a half years, um, the, the biggest growth lever for you, like leverage for you? Was it uh, running ads or was it just like uh, word of mouth? How exactly did you grow to such a, a revenue? Yeah, I think um, basically if there's a lead channel that works, we kind of want to figure it out and, and have it as a, as, a, as a channel. I think like um, there's a hierarchy of opportunity. Like you guys were really aggressive on content marketing, right? Like that was your number one lead generation source for the whole time. Is that right? Um, it kind of like switched. I think like we, when we started, it was not content. It was really me doing outbound and uh, trying to, to get uh, close the, the customers, but using our product, documenting all the campaigns that I was doing. And then after that, like uh, sharing the content was really helpful. So I would say that me on my own, I might have closed like the, the first 100 uh, customers. And after that, because of all the content, it brought us uh, the the next 900 to go to a thousand, and after that, like uh, we kept scaling. Amazing, yeah. So I'd say like it's similar, where it's like you know the first few years it was like networking, referrals. I used to go to. Do you know what BNI is? Business Networking no. Institute. It's okay. <laughs> um, it wasn't like my favorite thing, um, but it was just like a business networking thing that I'd go to at like 7 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. every every week and just meet all these entrepreneurs and we would, we would refer each other different businesses that could potentially use each other's services. Um, and so, it was, you know, I went to um, an expo and there was 150 businesses there and I just went one by one by one speaking to every single person. Um, so it's very unscalable at the start. It was just like, how do I get it? Um, then as we grew using outbound, you know, I was cold calling, cold emailing, I was doing like video analysis of businesses. Um, and that again, wasn't super scalable, but that was work walking. Um, our sales guy was, was doing like cold walkings and stuff like that. Um, we used to do physical mail, direct mail. And then I just, as we've gotten bigger and our budgets got bigger and the amount of time that we could allocate to certain channels has opened up. 
So now would be primarily paid advertising. So we do like a lot of search, um, you know, SEO. We win, you know, awards are not bad for our SEO as well. Paid social. Um, we're still, we're basically using all of our old channels as well. Um, we ranked highest in a lot of different um, review websites so as well. So we've kind of ranked as the number one in different segments as well. Um, and then we're still trying to develop more. So like, you know, we're exploring TV, we're exploring billboard, we're exploring radio, we're exploring um, what our content marketing strategy looks like for the next few years. Um, you know, we're still not super active on uh, LinkedIn as well. So, and I see other agencies doing really well on that as well. So we've just kind of started efforts there, but I still think there's a lot more channels that we can explore. But, uh, you know, the good thing about where we're at now is if one or two channels break, we'll still be fine. Like we'd need a lot of channels to break to, for us, for our business to kind of go backwards. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like the approach. I think we did the same, like for us, you know, it's because um, what people will tell you often, it's like, yeah, you should focus on this one acquisition channel that you really master. But in the end, what I feel is like, I prefer doing like many different things because as you said, if something breaks, at least, you know, you have like the, the other acquisition channels and on top of it, I feel like every acquisition channel can kind of like nurture the other one. So if you're writing really good content, uh, obviously this content you can break it down into videos, then the videos you can use them on YouTube, Instagram, then recreate content on LinkedIn or Twitter, etc. And then you kind of diversify and uh, minimize the risk. So it's a it's cool, uh, cool strategy. And um, during this nine and a half years, like being like kind of solo founder because... Uh, sorry, uh, sorry for uh, for uh, the, your sales friend who joined, but he didn't stay for a lot of time. <laughs> uh, what what was kind of like the the three toughest times you faced? I mean, there's definitely a lot of moments where you, one week you're like, "Oh my god, this company is going to be a hundred million dollar company," and then the next week you're like, "Okay, I can sell everything and go live with my mom and." Um, and so, you know, every, literally week to week, it's crazy. Um, I think some, let me think some things we had like a head of sales, um, leave at one point and that was challenging. I think, um, I think as he was getting ready to leave, he'd lost a little bit of interest in the business as well. And I was less aware that, um, of what was going on. Um, and then the sales team that he was managing didn't feel like they had a management manager. So they, uh, quit. And so we had this, you know, we usually didn't get a lot of, uh, uh, staff attrition. And then we had like a handful of people all leave within a department. Um, so that was a really challenging moment where I was like, okay, you know, do I want to sell the business or do I want to try to solve this? <laughs> um, we hired a, a head of sales from that had worked in another company and he was, um, not a good culture fit. We got our first negative review ever from him being rude to prospect. Oh, um, that was just like a challenging time because it was like, okay, cool. I it really, I had to go in and kind of go in and solve problems. COVID at the start of COVID. I mean, and by the way, the, the solution of that is we built a new team that was more engaged, more excited, performing better. And it ended up being a blessing. Um, but it just was a, you know, four to six months of like, okay, cool. I'm back in the weeds. Let's I'm taking calls again. Let's, let's get through this. Um, COVID was really challenging. Um, you know, we'd just done all of our planning and we're like really excited for the year. And then we lost 25% of our revenue um, in the space of six weeks. And that was challenging in a different way because it actually made me really engaged in somewhat of a 
a positive way where I was like, okay, cool. Like, like let's solve problems. Like, like it was, um, it was more like, I, I knew that we we're going to get through it. Um, but I knew that we had to make really good decisions every day. And so, um, but it was challenging too, because, you know, we just hired a bunch of people and we're getting them ready to take on accounts. And now we've just lost 25% of our revenue. And, and um, at that time, did you have like to kind of like fire people because you had lost uh, revenue or did you have like enough cash in the bank to kind of, uh, you know, like um, handle, I would say like a few months of uh, not having these customers? Yes. So basically those like six people that were all in their second week and we put them all on like, I think one day a week pay. So we just kind of put them on like a stand down, like well, let's, well, let's figure out what's happening right now before we um, kind of come in. It's like, if you guys want to try to find something else, that's totally cool. This is what we can, can do to kind of support you guys while we're trying to figure out what, what we're doing. Um, and luckily, um, you know, I'd say that that was a good catalyst for us to kind of start exploring other lead generation channels and just kind of go, okay, cool. To get through this, we need to start all of these ideas that we're thinking about. Let's just start doing them today because, you know, we had, we had additional time as well and we had to solve those problems. And, it, and we ended up, like a lot of agencies, later realizing it was not a bad thing for digital marketing. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, we started growing like crazy. Um, but, um, yeah, that was definitely a really challenging time as well. Um, Yeah, I think like there's there's also just moments where like you lose a big client um, and you're just trying to figure out like um, you know you're looking at the, the you know the the bank the bank start statement and you're like okay cool like are we still in business are we still going the right way so there's just some, there's definitely a lot of those moments yeah it feels like now we're in a really stable position I would, I would actually say another another point of recently was like when we grew so fast and we're building the company remote, I'm not sure if you've experienced this as well, but we lost aspect of some of the culture as well. And um, we had to, we've now put in culture analytics and more like staff surveys and anonymous question box where people can just drop in uh, questions and make sure that people are like seen, answered. Because when you lose, when we started having more locations and where we had remote workforce and we're growing quite fast, there's people don't know like our company vision or they don't know who's responsible for what or they don't there were certain elements where people started to feel left out of the culture and left out of the vision um and so i think that was something that we had to solve as well yeah yeah i think it's a uh, hyper growth for remote companies is extremely tough uh as you said because for you things uh, might be obvious so for example if you don't know something or if you need to know something you're just gonna post on Slack or reach out to whomever and get the answer. But for some people, if you think about it, you know, like they're just at home uh, in a company with hundreds of people and they don't know who to reach out to so they can just freeze, you know, like and don't do anything and prefer saying like, okay, maybe I'll deal with it later or they don't want to interrupt anyone during their work days. So yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, that's something to be honest because we, we also have this uh, kind of Um, hybrid type of work where we have an office in Paris and people in about like five different countries remote or uh, tens of different cities and um, right now it's how do you balance this you know like people remote people in the office and uh, we decided to open like a, a culture and people department so we really have you know like more and more activities and things that we can do together but that's definitely not something we've uh, we've nailed. <laughs> so uh, what what has been like the, the learnings, you know, with all these uh, questionnaires and things like that? Is this just to kind of 
take the temperature or do you actually get some really actionable things out of it? Yeah, I think it's both. So, so we're using a software called Caltramp, um, if you know it. Um, we use a few other softwares as well, whose names, which names escape me. Like we use Bamboo as well for more of like a pulse check as well. Um, and then there's something else. Um, but yeah, so we can look at it by department as well. So we can also see if like um, a leader in an department or is not engaging their team or making them feel like they're being heard or their ideas are being met as well. So that way we can speak with leaders directly and just saying, hey, look, this is the engagement score of your team. Um, and then we can work with, um, we use something called Torch, which is like an executive leadership training um, company that we can put people on some leadership programs as well. Um, just to make sure that, because that's another thing that happens with growth as well, is a great performer moves into a leadership role without ever getting leadership training. And usually there's some level of handholding that you can give on leadership training when you're in a physical space um, and you can sit in on their meetings. But when you were doing a remote, some of those things happen a little bit fast. Um, and Culturam gives you specific feedback on saying, okay, cool. These are some of the things that people are, are wanting more. You know, they want more transparency around you know, promotion timelines and they want more transparency around, um, you know, you know, learning resources and or whatever it is. So we can start to, uh, the questionnaire is quite well designed that we can start to kind of pinpoint different areas um, it, that we're falling behind on and making sure we're, yeah. It's, I want to bump on something you said because uh, I had an interesting chat with uh, a woman named Jill Rowley. She was like the, one of the first sales at uh, Eloqua Uh, when it's got acquired by uh, Oracle back in the days. And uh, essentially, like, because uh, you mentioned our top performers are moving, you know, to management position and then they need to get a training. And for a lot of time, I was convinced that this is the right thing to do. Like, uh, for me, it's like, you know, you are a top performer. Uh, you've been, you know, like putting your hands in the dirt, etc. You know how shit works. So I... 100% want you to manage the team because I want everyone else to do the same as what you did, you know? And then, you know, like she she talked to me and she said like, well, I was the first sales. And I was like, yeah, but you you ended up as, uh, you, you stayed SDR your entire life. She's like, yeah, but I was making more money than the, the VP. Like, I didn't want to be a VP. I didn't want to be a manager. Like, I fucking hate managing people. I'm a hardcore closer. And I was like, all right, like she knows what she wants for sure. But To be honest, it kind of like made me reflect on our decision. So is it something that you've thought of, meaning like some people are really like uh, A players and they are really good at execution, but really bad at management and they shouldn't be manager because that's simply something they don't like? Or do you always try to kind of like push people to become manager because you feel like it's uh, it can be great for them? Yeah, so I, I totally agree. There's this management principle, um, I think it's by Andy Grove or, or one of those famous management writers that says people will always be promoted until they become incompetent and that's when they'll get stopped promoted, right? So if you're good at your job, promote, promote, promote and until you, until you become bad. And so a big organization just has a series of people that got promoted to their level of incompetence, which is exactly what you don't <laughs> want. Um, and so I think, a few, yeah, I think you need to figure out like, You know, we've got similar things as well, where some sometimes like someone's a star performer at something, you know, they're really technical at Facebook ads and they can solve all these problems. And we're like, cool, you should be a team leader. Um, but they're just really technical and, and technical abilities don't necessarily translate to teaching necessarily. And so it's about 
having a decent perception of what people's skill set is, what their interests are, um, and supporting that transition as well, and also being comfortable to say, hey, actually, you're better at this as well. And so looking at, um, you know, there's still infinite possibilities for growth where it doesn't always have to be management as well, right? You can develop this service offering. You can push this forward. You can be our, our like analysis or, or whatever on, on these different departments. So I think, yeah, just because someone's a good performer doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to gravitate to management in general as well and being conscious of that and having different levers to pull and, and, and also looking at personalities and, um, you know, giving them test runs and things like that as well to kind of figure out where they're going to shine. That's nice. Yeah, I feel like it's a, it's a discussion that people need to have. And I, I think it's important to tell people that they can be promoted and they can get raised and they can level up by being, by being like really technical and really good at what they do. And that being a manager doesn't always mean uh, leveling up. You know, it's, a, it's just a different path. Um, and I'm, I'm quite curious because right now you, you had this uh, kind of like it was scary during COVID and then you realize that actually every company is going to digitalize uh, much faster. So you have hyper growth, uh, you're at like 20 million right now. What's kind of like the, the next step? Because you're a bit out of the business to focus on the other one. So do you think that your goal is what, like to go to 100 million and then get acquired or just go to 100 million, keep getting like dividends every year or what's what's kind of like the, the strategy behind it? Yeah, I think um, I think it's fun to keep growing and it's fun to keep learning. And, I, you know, I look at um, the businesses that I'm running right now, like um, like I'm playing college basketball so that I can go play NBA when I'm 40. <laughs> um, so I do want to eventually move on in some way, but, you know, I'm, I'm 32, so... Right now, I'm just enjoying learning and thinking through problems and scale. Um, I think for Megaphone, we we want to be dominant at the the services that we feel like are most performance uh, focused, right? So we're conscious of not trying to add on services that we don't feel like are going to be, you know, part of our core offering. Like we're, we're, we're a performance marketing agency. So like, you know, we want things that are... Uh, that we can track to ROI and we want to think things that probably have a shorter ROI expansion than longer as well. And, and so we're thinking about new developments for services that we think are going to be valuable, which are our current core offerings as well. Um, so we want to start developing a couple of new service lines as well that, that I think would be helpful. I think in terms of international expansion, we, we were in the US, um, you know, what we do in Australia, it works really well in uh, the US. I think like, our philosophies as a company work really well. Like how do we get you know, Ferrari level performance for, you know, Mazda level pricing or whatever, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, and um, so, yeah, I think with Megaphone, there's still a lot of opportunity. Yeah. We've got a vision for a hundred million and um, there's so many different other things that we could be doing as well. So it's just trying to figure out, um, you know, we could have uh, a whole education piece, which we could have as an arm to the business. We could do PR, we could do, um, you know, we could do financial services, legal services. Um, so there's a lot of other opportunities that we could expand into if we want to. But right now, we're really trying to just double down on, okay, this is our core thing. This is kind of what we've got the best reputation for. How do we just constantly push that so that we can add more value on that? Um, yeah, so I think that that's the main thing. But yeah, I do think at some point, you know, whether it's in four years or eight years, 
there'll be a, a transition point, whether it'll be uh, some partial exit or, or something. Um, and I'm not sure what that's going to look like. Yeah. You have time, you still have time to explore. <laughs> yeah. What about for you with Lemless? Well, on our end, you know, like we uh, we sold 20% of the company. So we took uh, $30 million at uh, $150 million valuation. So it's quite good because right now we, we still own like 80% of the business, but we can just uh, focus, you know, on the, on the next step and take 10 times more risk, be really bold in what we do and uh, also keep working on multi-projects. So it's a uh, it's really exciting. I'm I'm really happy, you know, <laughs> having a good time, like uh, building a business. <laughs> uh, so you saw and, that uh, as secondary. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's one hundred percent secondary. Like uh, it's you don't see a lot of companies do that. Like usually, like uh, VC, like they they really don't like doing that. So we found like a good partner for that. So it's uh, it's quite cool. <laughs> we got uh, we got lucky. <laughs> Um, and and I'm also curious because uh, your game on on YouTube is uh, is pretty intense. So I've seen you uh, learning violin. I'm, I've seen you like doing skateboard, learning backflips, and so on and so forth. So what's kind of do you do you have like your YouTube channel? Is it just for yourself, like to keep challenging uh, yourself, or is it something that has a link to the business as well? Um, it was. I've always loved learning. Like. Uh, it, it's a core philosophy of our business. And I think, you know, and I think also just in my life, like I've learned all kinds of weird random skills. You know, I, was a, I won a yo-yo competition when I was younger and then I was really into like, you know, just, <laughs> nice. that's just my personality. I got my Ruby skip here, which I love to solve. Um, How fast can you solve it? <laughs> uh, I think my best time was like 25 seconds or 20, oh something like God. that. But, but now, I'm, <laughs> now I'm out of practice. If I can do a minute right now, I'm happy with myself. Okay. Um, <laughs> But I just like that. That's just part of my personality, and and it, it helps me like connect dots between a lot of different things. And it's also just like the spice of life for me. And I was excited to kind of share that with the world and kind of talk about you know the fun of learning new things and and also trying to make learning new things more approachable as well. Like when you're thinking about learning violin, it could be a bit intimidating. But if you go, oh, you can get that good in a month if you really are focused and if you take this level of approach, okay, maybe uh, I will do that or skateboarding or, and it's also like, it's also, you watch me fail a lot as well. Like in skateboarding, I fall a lot. Um, and you, it, you know, I guess that's the other thing as well, where it's like, there is going to be some pain involved in learning some of these things and there are going to be challenges and, but that's part of the fun. And that's what makes it rewarding when you do get that great uh, finish. So that was the concept with the the YouTube channel. Um, I did it for three years. I, I stopped it during COVID. Um, I had a lot of fun. I got to meet a lot of really amazing teachers as well. And, you know, I, I worked with the singing teacher that worked with John Mayer and Selena Gomez. Oh, um, so there was like <laughs> fun cool. little things like that. Yeah, um, I'm actually thinking about picking up the YouTube channel again coming into next year, um, but just probably taking a more relaxed approach to it this time. Just talking about you know, the philosophies that I've been learning about and different things that are, are winning for me and business and life. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was fun. It had nothing to do with the business. Although, um, you know, people have applied for Megaphone that have been watching the channel. Uh, so, <laughs> and there's a few clients that come from watching the channel as well. So um, just putting your, your personality out there, as I'm sure the same is for you, people resonate with you as a person and then they go, okay, cool. Um, you're cool. Lemless must be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, you know, I think it's, uh, I think we have kind of like the same view, you know, on business. You meet with people, you build relationships, you're just uh, true to yourself. 
And if people click and connect, then awesome. If not, well, that's life. And uh, there is a real like business karma. So it's, uh, <laughs> so it's quite cool. That's nice. And um, for you right now, essentially, like, uh, are you, you were mentioning that you're moving a bit away from the day-to-day -day on Megaphone. So what's kind of the plan for the, the next six months? Is it like fully focused, finishing kind of Series A, try to uh, go all in on the project, uh, skyrocket the growth and, uh, and just uh, build another uh, billion-dollar company? Or do you still want to keep uh, a bit of, uh, I don't know, like reporting from Megaphone uh, from daily or day-to-day? Yeah, so def definitely going to still be involved with Megaphone. Um, you know, the good thing about what I'm doing with Sylvie is it works quite nicely with Megaphone. Uh, if we take Sylvie from zero to 100 million in four years, um, no other agency in the world has done that for a company that they own. People can say, oh, look, we were part of, you know, we work with Lululemon. Okay, that's great. And, and we can show you how we move their sales. But at the end of the day, you could also go, well, was it because of their products? Was it because they had yeah. a bad market beforehand and then you guys came in and you were average? Like, um, <laughs> and so there's a lot of kind of questions where it's like, um, if you just happen to work with the right brand and that didn't have any good marketing strategy, but they had really good product market fit, uh, a lot of agencies can take credit for that. And that there's also other agencies working around them, right? Did they control creative? Did they control brand? Did they control website? Did they only just do media buying, right? Um, and so a lot of people are taking credit for a lot when it comes to uh, uh, agency work. And so with Sylvie, we control everything. We control every single element from choosing the product to the supply chain, to the brand, to the website, to the conversion rate, to the copywriting. Um, and that level of insight is something unique that I don't think a lot of agencies truly understand because they're, they're still playing these small roles. Um, and so if I can take Sylvie to zero to a hundred million, um, And I can take all of those learnings and then just inject them into Megaphone while helping with the strategy and, and support of the management team. Um, I feel like that's a nice synergistic thing to work on. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Um, you know, and the cool thing with Sylvie as well is um, I'm not really getting, it's hard to get like really cool e-commerce mentors when you're running an agency, right? Everyone just thinks you're trying to sell. Uh, maybe you can feel the same way too. When you go to a when you go to a B2B company and when you go to an agency, you reach out to someone, they're like, Oh, you're probably just going to try to sell me a Trying services. to sell something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But when you're on e-com, people will want to want to speak to you because people can see our brand, they go, oh, that's cool. Like uh, and they want to learn from us and we want to learn from them. And so it's opened up the door to meet a lot of really amazing people in e-com. And and I'm also trying to leverage Sylvie as a as an opportunity to speak to the founders of Warby Parker and speak to the founders of, you know, whatever it is and actually start to learn from those guys, take that into Sylvie, figure out what's worked for us and then bring that into Megaphone as well. So that's kind of the, the, the vision over the next few years. No, that's really cool. And I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to read that success story in about like four years when I see like uh, how Megaphone helped Sylvie reach the $100 million in sales. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. So I want to be like uh, cautious of your time. So we're going to finish with uh, the round of three flash questions. Uh, the first one is what's your favorite book or podcast? So, um, so many books and so many podcasts. Um, <laughs> you can choose one of it. <laughs> okay, cool. I'll do. So I just started listening to uh, my first million. Do you listen to that oh, one? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's really good. It's just, It's fun and it keeps my brain in thinking in creative ways. I really like that. 
I also got to drop uh, Mega Minds, which is my podcast. If anyone wants to check that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. What's what's the topic of uh, uh, of Mega Mind? Um, basically, just sharing learnings from scaling the agency from the ecom side of things, and then um, scaling Sylvie as well. So we talk about like um, you know marketing strategies, creative strategies. Um, Yeah, anything that's helped me scale those businesses. We're really trying to target e-commerce owners that have a, a business of around 500 to a million dollars a year that are trying to take it to 10 million plus. Nice. I will check this out. Cool. Um, yeah, and book, oh, there's so many good books. Um, my favorite book, actually, I got a, a tattoo of the book cover on my ankle. So, um, really? Have you read the, <laughs> yeah. Do you know The Fountainhead? Have you ever heard of that book, The Fountainhead? No, no. It's a good book. It's uh, okay. it's a it's a allegory around integrity and and just kind of living in alignment to the type of person that you want to be. And and it really resonated with me when I first read it. I guess so. I mean, getting a tattoo is pretty serious. <laughs> yeah, you'd hope I liked it. <laughs> nice, nice. I will I will check this out. Um, and who's your uh, favorite uh, bootstrap founder? Um, you know, the one that comes to mind for me. We had this client called um, Brewmate. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them, but um, he ended up since raising money, but he bootstrapped his business to about $100 million a year in e-com in four years. Um, wow. And we did, his, we did his marketing for a year. We ran some of the Australian side of uh, his marketing. Um, and I got to know him a little bit. Really, really cool guy. Really uh, impressive with what he did with the business. His team was only like eight or nine people. Um, when he got to a hundred million as well. So there's, that's took, insane. <laughs> yeah. His, his approach was like, all I need to do is make the best product in the world for this category and get the best freelancers or agencies in the world, helping me scale it. And if I can solve those two things and then just use as much debt as I can to scale the business. And it was crazy successful for him. So it was, oh. it was a pretty cool story. What was the product? Uh, Brewmate, B-R- R-U-M-A-T-E. It's a, it's like a drink koozie. It's like a way to keep alcohol cold. It's got all like, <laughs> there's like ways where you can pour your wine in it and it keeps the wine cold and cool like, for, for, for weeks. Like very, all kinds of very different niche. products. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it less reminds, niche than you, yeah. than you think. Yeah. But yeah. yeah exactly. sorry, <laughs> no, it reminds me of, uh, you know, like uh, this guy who was uh, selling uh, its ramp for dogs. Uh, dog ramps so basically like to go from the floor to like the couch and the guy was making hundreds of millions i was like really <laughs> but yeah i mean if you find the right product and you can scale it definitely like there are huge opportunities in e-commerce it's crazy so many opportunities like that yeah it's crazy yeah it's nice and um last question what's your favorite thing to do to regain energy when uh, during hard times yeah i think um I think I'll say two things. I, I never, I'm struggling to give you one, don't I? Um, I think um, for one, I've noticed uh, having like a mindset coach is something that's been really good. Someone to keep me accountable to myself. Um, and it's kind of like a business therapist or like a success therapist where it's like, hey, this is the person that you want to be. And this is where you are at now. And where are we uh off and you can still be really happy but it's just about getting to your highest level whereas i think sometimes with therapy it's like hey i'll go if i'm feeling unhappy um so i think that that's pretty pretty cool um yeah and another thing for me is honestly um the weird weird 
answer, but avoiding my destructive ha- habits and embracing boredom. So d- like no games, no YouTube, no Netflix, no movies, uh, allowing just free time in my life to just go and just not have anything to do, not be using my phone and just seeing creatively where, where am I uh, drawn? Um, and, um, usually that gives me like a level of inspiration and creativity to kind of start wanting to solve through those hard times because the hard times are inevitable. But if I'm connected to the vision and I'm not distracting myself, then I feel kind of excited to work through them. And it's also, it's, you know, as I'm sure, you know, it's all about the journey. Like when you've got that exit, it's a really nice feeling for a day. And then you're like, cool, now back to the thing. Cause that's the fun stuff. Right. Um, and um, so just reconnecting to why you're actually doing it is, is always really important. Definitely. That's uh, it. Was really an awesome chat. I'm glad uh, we could record this episode together. Where can uh, people learn more about you or follow your journey? So you can check me out on uh, YouTube if you want to see me do weird challenges at Max Herden <laughs> or uh, uh, on Instagram as well. I'm at Max Herden and always happy for people to DM me or, and ask me questions. Yeah, always love to hear from people. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Max, and uh, have an amazing day. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs>